0: As we've seen over many weeks that the book of James is a series of tests that demonstrate the validity of our faith. I have used the analogy of a fiction versus non-fiction faith. In other words, the question has been, is your faith based on fantasy or fact? The very practical book of James has helped us examine our faith based on a series of spiritual tests, and we've covered The trials test, the wisdom test, the temptation test, the hearing versus doing test, the partiality test, faith in words, tongue, humility and pride, friendship test. And today we come to the life planning test. And just for a review, um, passing these tests don't make you a Christian. They demonstrate that you are a Christian. We are not saved by our works. But we are saved by a faith that works. And that's a direct quotation from James himself. So as we come to our text today in James 4, 13 through 17, you might at first perusal, you might think that this isn't much of a test. It's more of a quiz. That it's not really as quite as important or significant as some of the other tests that we've tried to go through. But in saying that, I think that you'd be wrong. And my objective this morning is to help you to see That this topic of planning your lives is not a quiz. It is definitely a test. It is far, far more valuable and important than you might ever think. And so what is James doing with this text? May I say up front, he is not just helping us as Christians relate to the themes of possessions, wealth, or business. All of those are mentioned in this passage But that's not what he's after. In fact, he could have just as easily said, now listen you who say, I'm going to go to school for the next four years, and after that, I'm going into such and such a career. Or he could have said, those who say, in the next couple of years, we're going to start a family, and we're going to have so many children, and here's the house that we're going to buy, and so forth and so on. Because, see, he's not just talking about money or business or wealth he's talking about one of the most normal things that we do, and I would dare say something that we do every single day, and that is that we plan. We plan our lives to have some level of control over our circumstances, and perhaps even more importantly, our future. And certainly, there is absolutely nothing wrong with planning. In fact, it's absolutely normal, isn't it? I mean, It's normal for us as human beings to try to exert some sort of control or some sort of power over our schedules and our goals and the things that we want to accomplish in life. And you can see it. Look at verse 13. He he says, today or tomorrow. See, that's a schedule. Those who say today or tomorrow, there's a schedule there. And then he says, we're going to go to such and such a town. So that's a destination or a place. And then he says, spend a year there. See, that's scheduling your time. And then trade and make a profit. That's your goal. That you're try- See, all of those things, James says, are part of life. You plan to go places, you have a job, you plan to have goals, you're trying to reach things in your life, and all of those things are good. We do all that stuff all the time. In fact, You probably have, and maybe you brought it with you today. We have calendars, and we put things on our calendars. We have appointments, things that we're going to do. This is the week that we're going on vacation. Hey, this is the week that we're doing this. We have planners. Why? Because we have to-do lists, and every day for some people, I have these things i got to get accomplished, and I have long-range goals, short-range goals. We, We have that. It's just built into us, right? It's part of our culture. So James is not saying... That you really shouldn't plan if you're a good Christian. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this plan, but don't leave God out of your plans. That's what James is saying. So, a nonfiction faith, James would say, a real faith, a faith that really is vital in living, here's what it is a nonfiction faith doesn't leave God out of your daily plans. So, here's how he starts look at the text. Verse 13. He starts off with a little invitation, as it were. Come now. now. Now notice, he also starts the paragraph in chapter 5 and verse 1, which we're going to tackle next week. He do, so these two things go together. And so this is really part 1, and next week is part 2, about planning and how you handle your possessions, your time, and your wealth. So he says, but listen, come now is a phrase in the Old Testament the prophets did. And and they used it when they wanted to invite God's people in and tell them something very, very serious. And so what James is saying, this is not a quiz about your faith. This is a test. And it's a very important test because how you plan your life speaks volumes about where God is in your life. So there's two approaches See, in your scriptures, I want to show it. It's a very easy text to figure out. There are two approaches to planning your life. There's plans with God, and there are plans without God. And now, those two plans are marked off by an almost identical phrase. Look at verse 13. Come now, and see it there? Underline it. You who say. Now, verse 15, it says, instead... You ought to say. Now see, those are the two plans. This is what people are saying. This is one approach. But what you ought to say, verse 15 and following, is the second approach. And so there is a worldly approach, one that demonstrates that you're a friend of the world, James 4.4. 4. And there's an approach that you take to planning your life that shows and demonstrates that you're a friend of God. So there's a godly approach and there's a worldly approach to planning And we're going to unpack them one at a time. So let's do the first one, worldly planning. When you are demonstrating that you're really not the friend of God, but you're the friend of the world, what would it look like in your daily life when you plan things? He says, you who say. Now, that phrase used in Romans 2.22 and other places is always about talking to yourself. You who say. In other words, here's what James is saying. Hey, there's people who plan, and here's how they think. This is the pattern of their thinking about their daily lives and what's going to happen in the future. Here is their internal planning process. Ready? See if it's you. These are people who plan, who plan their lives and their future without thought of God. They don't think about what his plans might be. They don't think about his sovereignty and his control. They make plans without him. Now, you don't think that may be a big deal, but here's what he, how he describes in verse 16, which we'll get to. Here's the words that describe this kind of worldly planning. Arrogance, boast, evil, sin. Now see, that's important, isn't it? That's what makes this not a quiz. So here he's referring to This. He's referring to, and maybe this is you, he's referring to a life of someone whose planning or working or operating doesn't put God in the center of it. What he's asking is, are, is your life continually and relentlessly referring to God and his sovereign will in all the plans that you make? Are you failing to connect God in any regard to what you are doing in your life? How you think about your plans, what your plans will be all about, how your priorities, your values, how you use your finances, what you're going to do with your time, where you're going to live. Does God have any say in any of those things? See, he's talking about people who ignore who he is and what he has done for them, even though they may claim to know him. But yet, although they say to know him in their daily plans, he has very little, if any, input on what's taking place in their life. Now see it, it's not a quiz, is it? It's not a quiz, it's a test. So James would say this, of course, schedule your time, schedule your life. But the terrible thing is, can I say the awful thing is, is that we would day in and day out, week in, month in, year in and out, that we would make all kinds of plans and leave God out of it. You have to ask, because I did, why would this ever happen to people who claim to be God's people? How does this happen? Why is it that some of God's people practice such a worldly approach to their daily life? Well, James doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us two reasons. Two reasons why Christians leave God out of their lives. And why it is so wicked and evil and sinful to God when we do it. So let me start with this question. And I want, so instead of just telling you the truth throughout the bat, let me just help you feel it. Okay? Ask yourself, how do you feel when you're forgotten? Someone, what do you, how do you feel when someone you love forgets? Someone you respect, you you, and they forget. They forget your birthday. They forget your anniversary. They forget to pick you up and leave you there. Mm -hmm, I did that. My wife and I, when BJ Will was three, I was a youth pastor at my home church, and we were having an activity, and all the kids were getting on the bus, and I, I thought my wife was getting him, and she thought I was getting him. So we're getting all the kids on the bus. I get on, my wife's on, I'm not taking attention to it because I think she has them. So I'm getting all the kids, I'm counting all the kids, counting to see if all the kids are there. But I don't count to see if my own child's there because she's got them somewhere, right? So we're driving down the road and all of a sudden, where's where's Will? Where's BJ? We don't know, but he's not on the bus. Eh. Turn around, drive the bus back in the parking lot, and there he is, crying on the front porch of the ch- church. And one of uh, the kid from people from the church, he was in the church office or something waiting for us because we left him behind. We forgot him. You know what? You feel awful. You feel awful. You know what? But he feels awful. The tears coming down. Why? Now, that's just a little kid, right? Imagine. How do you feel when you're forgotten? How do you feel when no one remembers, right? Here's what God says. Listen to this. Jeremiah two thirty two, can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. God says, days without number. What is he saying? Here's what Jeremiah is saying. And and I've been to and I've performed a lot of weddings. You know what I've never seen in a wedding? I've never seen or had a bride say to me, oh wait, Pastor Walker. I forgot my veil, or, oh, wait, wait, I came to church, but I forgot the dress. Or you're going to have to give us a few more minutes because I didn't do my makeup, or I didn't do my nails, or wait, I, I forgot, I haven't even done my hair yet. I've never had a bride say that to me, and probably never will. And you know why? Because to a bride, to be beautiful and presentable for her husband to be is an absolute necessity, It's of utmost importance. See what God's saying? He says, you know what? We don't forget the things that matter most to us. But God says, but you've forgotten me. You've forgotten me. Maybe he would be, if he was here and and he could stand here and talk to you today, maybe he would say, you've forgotten me. Plans without number. See, you have planned out and your, kid, your child's small and you've already planned out their whole life for them. You know where they're gonna go to school and you have their education and their college and, and, you, and you're thinking about this or they're, they're in high school ready to go and you have plans and you've got scholarships and you've got all this and you know what career you're gonna have and you want all these and they're really, really good things for your kids, but they don't involve him. See, you said this, here's our story. How can we invite God into it? And God would say, no, no, no. How about this? Here's my story. How do you fit into it? But see, we've forgotten him. We have career plans, and we make moves, and we, up, we move our children and our house and our family. We go to other places. And we take jobs, and we don't even know if there's a good church in the area, and we've never attended a church. We'll go that, but when we get there, maybe we'll figure that out. We'll have time for that. And God says, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Your family plans. Your children. You're going to have children. When you're going to have children. Where you're going to live. What you're going to do. In the house that you choose. In the neighborhood that you choose. See, God says, listen, you can make plans. Do it. But don't forget me. Financial plans, what you're going to do with your money and you're going to retire. And, you, and when you're retiring, you've got this and you're going to have this house and a house here and a house there. And you're going to have this and you're going to do these things and you're collect she-shells and you're going to do. And God says, listen, make plans. Don't forget me in them. Don't forget me in your financial and retirement plans. Don't forget me in your ministry plans. What ministry plans? See, exactly. See, it's not just wrong plans. It's selfish plans. And sometimes it's even no plans. We have no plans to serve him before we've forgotten him. So the first reason, here's what James says. You know why we forget God? You know why we would make such terrible mistakes? Here's why. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know. Proverbs 27.1, which I think this is an allusion to, says this, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring. It's a wisdom quote, and James is really good at quoting wisdom. And so he says, you don't know. Now, listen, theology lesson, ready? Look right here. God has systematic theology. He has communicable attributes, right? And he has incommunicable attributes. Now, usually we, we use those terms for diseases. You can either get it, catch it, or you can't. But with God, it's talked about his attributes. In other words, his communicable ap- attributes are ones that you should emulate. You should try to be like him in those ways. Merciful, kind, loving, so forth. But he has incommunicable attributes, and those are ones you cannot emulate him. And they're usually the ones that are the little omni-words, omnipresent, omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all those type of terms. And see, here's what we do. When we leave God out of our plans, we are trying to emulate his incommunicable attributes because only God knows everything. Only God has all power. So imagine this. We forget God. Here's how. When we think that we have enough knowledge to handle everything that's coming our way. When we think that we have enough power that we can handle it. See, here's what happens. It's the horrible thing about forgetting God. When you forget God, you often try to replace God. You, you try to become him. Here's how. I know enough. And the, here's what God says. No, you don't. You don't know enough. I can handle this. No, you can't, he says. You're forgetting that you don't even, listen, is it true? We don't even know how today will end. Have we not learned anything from COVID-19? COVID-19 says you don't know, do you? You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know what's coming across the horizon of this country or this life. You don't know. So don't make plans as if you do. I know, and I have the power. Put me at the center of your planning in your life. See, James says that's the first reason You don't know what tomorrow—you don't—you can't even handle today, much less tomorrow. But then he's going to build on it. Life is not only unpredictable, it's uncertain. He says, and what is your life, see? Your knowledge is limited. Listen to this. But your life is limited. Your life is limited. You are a mist, a vapor, a little puff of smoke— Literally in the, in the original, it's the word appear. Your life appears and then it disappears. You know, I'm 57 years old and every year I get older, I go, where does the time go? I'm so happy to be having a grandchild, right? But I remember when I was a child and now I'm going to have a grand, right? Where did it go? I'm celebrating five days, my 45th Spiritual anniversary. I'm spiritually older than a lot of you are physically older. So I'm not sure I'm happy about that, but that's the way it is. Where does the time go? We're here, and then we're gone. See, you can't control tomorrow. You can't control time. And see, and that's the folly of it, that we actually think that we can. Turn to Luke, hold your finger here, and turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is a story that Jesus told of a very rich man. In verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to the man who made me a judge or arbiter over you. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions And he told a parable to illustrate it. Listen to this. The land of the rich man produced plentiful, ready? Self-talk, you who say. He thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He's got so much crops, so much money. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Ready? And I will say to my soul, self-talk, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. See, he's got his plans figured out. He's going to make this much money. He's got a schedule. He's got a retirement. And he's going to take it easy. But you know what? His plans have a problem. You know what they are? There's no mention of God. He leaves God out of his plans. And what is God's response to him Hear me, and to you. You know what God says? Here's one word for that. Fool. See, this parable and this paragraph in James is teaching us the folly of making plans without God. Fool, watch. You've been talking about the rich man. You've been talking about months and years ahead. And this night, do you see the dramatic contrast You have all this planned out there, and you don't even know your life will be over today. This night, your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here's what he says. See, he says, I will, I will, I will. See how confident he is in what he's doing? Go back to James. Here it says, We're going to go into such a city and we're going to buy and train. We will do this. We're going to go here. We're going to do, see, he's got plans, but God isn't in them. And you know what? Here's what James says. It's so foolish to do that. Here's how the parable ends. You know what the folly is? Why do people plan like that? Because they are not rich toward God. See, the approach you take tells you what values you have. You either treasure money, or you treasure God. And that's why it's not just externally what you do, it's internally what you are. See, plans without God is a life without God. That's why it's not just a quiz, it's a test. It's not taking into consideration that you might plan for months and years, but your life may be a vapor and it may be disappearing today. So there's worldly planning. He says, but that's not what you should be as a Christian. He says there's godly planning, verses 15 through 17. Now look first at the word, instead. It's the Greek word anti, meaning against. meaning there. this worldly planning I've just described to you, it is complete polar opposite, complete extremely opposite, antithetical to all that God is all about. So if you find yourself doing the planning where God's not a part of it, and you're not considering that your life is a vapor, see, here's what he says. You ought to be doing something completely different. He says... You ought to be planning in a God-centered way. So you ought to say, in in other words, this is how you should do it. And so again, it's not a question of planning. It's whether your planning will be self-centered or whether your planning will be God-centered. And so he says, here's how you start talking to yourself. Here's what you should say to yourself. If the Lord's wills. Now listen. I'm not trying to be too harsh this morning, but in our circles, that's kind of a pious phrase. I call it Jesus jargon, that people put on the end of statements when they're not sure or or they think that they're going to do something they want to do. I'll do this, and they tack on, if the Lord's wills. Or, Or they'll say something that, Lord willing, if the Lord leads me, the Lord is talking to me or telling me. See, be careful about using that phrase in such a subjective way that no one can really challenge you about what you're doing because you, you put it on the end of it, well, you know, I'm, I've got God. I, that little phrase says, I've moved God into the plans. Maybe. Because it can be an excuse for you just doing what you want and then tacking it on. When, when James says, say this, if the Lord wills, he is not saying for you to tack that on the end of it so that you can feel that your plans without God are spiritual. Here's what he wants, here's what he means. He doesn't want you to sprinkle that phrase over everything you want to do and put God's name on it without actually considering him. But when he says, watch the phrase, if the Lord wills, what? You shall live and do this or that. See, how many people say when they say, well, if the Lord wills, how many of them think this? If he even gives me life today. Ready to do a test. Go like this. Breathe in really deep. Do you know God said you could do that? Do you know the fact that you do it again is all by his permission? Do you know that you do it the rest of today is only by his grace? See, when you say if the Lord wills, that's what he wants you to think. He doesn't want you to just tack it on the end so you can sound spiritual to everybody else. No, he wants you to think, listen, listen, I'm planning this, if he even gives me life, even if I'm still alive, if my heart is still being. And and by doing that, I'm saying this. I acknowledge that I have a limited life. I acknowledge, God, that you're in charge of my life, not me. I I confess, God, that you are God on the throne, not me. That's what he wants. See, if the Lord wills, I will live, watch, and do this or that. It's parallel to the first phrase. Remember he said, you'll go into such and such a town. It's generic. See, he says, do this or that. It's it's all the details of your life. So when you say, if the Lord wills, what does he want? Here's what God wants when you say it. Here's what he wants going in your mind. God, you're in control. You're in charge of every single detail of my life. Little ones, big ones, and everything in between. Therefore, I don't make presumptuous plans. I always have contingencies in my mind. I always think God... Is this part of your kingdom? Is this for the sake of the gospel? Is this really what matters most? See, I say this, plan everything, assume nothing. Submit all of your plans to God and tell him, tell him on your knees, God, here's what I would like to do, but you change all of it. Put a stop to it, God. Turn me in another direction. God, take me in another way. Whatever you want, because I'm not doing anything unless it's submitted to you. Pastor Walker, why does that matter? Let me tell you this. Are you controlled by worry this morning? Do you find yourself often, often struggling with anxiety? This solution is the difference between peace and anxiety and trust and worry. Because you know what worry is? It's the frustration that you are not in control and you don't know everything. And when you try to act like you do, we worry and we become anxious. So if you're controlled by anxiety, see, here's what it is. You think you know what's good. You think you know what's best. You think that the timing, you know when things should happen, how things should happen, and until you come to this reality that you do not, that you are not God, you have not got this principle down in your life. Anxiety is how you respond to plans that fail, According to your will. That's what anxiety is. Anxiety happens, ready? When you try to take God's place. James says instead of that approach, how about saying this to yourself if you really believe and practice the phrase, if the Lord's will, how about saying this to Him? I would like to marry this girl, I would like to get into this school. I would like to have this job and buy this house. I would like to have a child. But God, you know best. You know best how, you know best where, you know best when. I, God, tell him, I don't know that. I don't know what the future is, but I know that you do. And I want you to know, God, I humble myself. I am not you. And so I trust you. I trust what you're doing. I trust when you do it, how you do it, why you do it. You know how, why? Let me ask you, and we'll close. You know why that's so hard for us? Well, James tells us, verse 16, look at it. He says, you know why we struggle with that? Because as it is, you boast in your arrogance, All boasting is evil. That's why this is an extension of the previous passages. You know why he spent so much time talking about pride and humility? Because pride is at the root of godless planning. Pride is. Only when you think that you can do what he does, when you can know what he knows and do what he does, see, that's pride. He says, and that's why, and and, and watch. And here's how far it had gone with some of them. They were boasting in it. They've become arrogant. They are basically saying, I'm independent of God, and actually, I don't really need him. Now, you would say, I would never say that. I would never say that. But do you live it? I don't, you would never say, I don't need God. But do you live like you don't need him? So I'm supposing this morning that you read your Bible, and you prayed before you came. Or Yesterday or the day before, but you have forgotten me days without number. Here's what God says. You may never have said it, but you may say it every day with your life. You know what he says it is? It's evil. It's wicked, he says. Planning your life, he says, is if I don't exist, but you come to church and praise me as if I do. You know what? There's a term for that. Practical atheist. But I acknowledge God on Sundays, but live as if he doesn't exist in my plans every other day of the week. It's sin, he says. It's sin. See, they didn't know it. He says, for him who knows to do something and failed to do it, it's a sin. See, they should have known that. They couldn't admit they didn't know the future, but they should have known that, and they didn't. They didn't live it out. And so maybe God brought you here this morning, and here's what He wants you to say. Maybe it's time that you plan to put God in your plans. Maybe He brought you here because you're, you're coming up on some serious decisions and some plans in your life, and maybe some nonsense. But here's what He says Don't just plan the big ones with me, plan it all with me. Plan every day with me. How are you going to do the rest of today? Make God in your plans. God, I'll be here Sunday night. You know why? Because you're at the center of my plans. God, I'm gonna, you know what? This week, I'm planning on you. That's why I'm going to get on my knees and in the Bible before I go, because I'm acknowledging, I'm communicating to you, God. I need you. I need you today. All things, every detail, I need the plans to be centered around you. So which approach are you? How do you live your life daily? God says it matters. It's not just a quiz the test. Let's pray. Father, all of us to one degree or another we make plans. In fact, we may have plans today. But the question isn't whether we're going to plan, but how we're going to plan. Are we going to plan with our lives built around us or our lives built around you? I think that we would view church differently if we altered that. I think we we'd say And we differ on how we spend our money and our priorities and our time and what matters most. I think it would change if our plans changed and who they were built around. I pray this morning as God's people who worshiped you with their offerings today and with their songs proclaiming how great you are and how wonderful you are. God, may that really be shown and demonstrated throughout this week and every week in the way that we plan every detail of our lives. May we relentlessly come back to putting you at the center. Help us, Lord, to do that the more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.